The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. It is great to be back in the studio again. I want to thank Rosemary Chalmers for sitting in for me while I was on an East Coast speaking tour. And I also want to thank all the folks who turned out in Norfolk, Virginia, Washington, D.C., Boston, New Bedford, Orlando, everywhere. Just I, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your support. I really did enjoy meeting you. And I, uh, in particular, in hearing what you had to say, I took your comments about the direction that our country is going in very much to heart. Uh, and before we get started today, I also want to welcome our new affiliate stations in Chicago, uh, WCPT AM and FM, WCPY and WCPQ. And I also want to give a shout out to WLVL in Buffalo, New York. Welcome to the program. Our guest today is five-term congressman from Colorado, Tom Tancredo. In just a minute, he'll join us to talk about ending the prohibition on marijuana, the importance of establishing English as the official language of the United States, and why illegal immigration may represent our nation's greatest security risk. Mr. Tangrito was born and raised in Denver, Colorado, the proud grandson of four grandparents who emigrated to the United States from Italy. He graduated from the University of Northern Colorado with a degree in political science. And while teaching high school history, Tancredo ran and won a seat in the Colorado House of Representatives where he served two terms. In 1981, he was appointed by President Ronald Reagan to be the regional representative for the Department of Education, a position he continued in under President Bush. In 1993, he became the president of conservative think tank, the Independence Institute, and served in this role until 1999 when he won a seat in the United States House of Representatives. He served on the Foreign Affairs Committee and Natural Resources Committee and was known to be very active on issues related to immigration reform. In 2007, Tancredo made a bid for the Republican nomination for the presidency of the United States. And he is also the author of the best-selling book, In Mortal Danger, the battle for America's border and security. It's my privilege to welcome to the Costa Report popular conservative leader, Mr. Tom Tancredo. Welcome to the program, Mr. Tancredo. Thank you. It's a pleasure to join you. In a moment, we're going to talk about your positions on immigration and lifting the prohibition on marijuana. But before we do, uh, there are only a few days <laughs> left before the country chooses its next president. So how are things looking out there in Colorado? Good. They are looking good for Romney um, in, in a kind of, I don't know, bizarre way. Uh, when I say things are looking good, it appears that we will lose the House of Representatives. 
which we only hold by one vote here, mm. uh, and we will not be able to take back the Senate, which we uh, are behind about two vote, two seats, I should say, and um, and but at the same time, it appears as though Romney will win the state. That is not, I guess, all that peculiar for Colorado. It's sort of schizophrenic when it comes to these sorts of things and elections in general. I can remember we had Dick Lamb, one of the most liberal governors uh, in any state, and elected him at the exact same time we were electing Senator Bill Armstrong, who became one and who was known as one of the most conservative individuals in the state. So go figure. But um, that is the way it looks right now. Now, why do you think that is? Is that just the vast diversity of the type of voter that you have in Colorado? Or is it just that they're very they're known for being independent thinkers? Well, it's it perhaps was the, the latter before, I should say a few years ago. But frankly, something has happened in the last eight years, uh, exactly eight years ago, um, there were a, there's a group of people here. We, they refer to as CODA. That's what they call themselves, the Colorado Democracy Alliance. They are primarily homosexuals that who have attained a, a great deal of money. One is a guy by the name of Tim Gill who uh, started a, a huge, huge uh, firm called Quark. He is worth several hundred million dollars. Um, there is a congressman from Colorado now uh, who is uh, the congressman from the 2nd Congressional District, Boulder area. Um, he is also extremely wealthy. And a lady up in uh, Fort Collins, Pat Stryker, who is an actual billionaire. So, uh, and all, and her, her brother is a homosexual. The two gentlemen I mentioned are homosexuals. And we're concerned about the fact that um, they, they could not advance the gay marriage issue here in Colorado just simply on its own as an initiative or something like that. And so eight years ago, they determined they were going to do something here that was really quite extraordinary. And um, they were going to create um, an infrastructure of 501c3 organizations, 527, PACs, um, and a variety of other uh, entities that were all going to they all developed sort of under the radar. Nobody saw it happening, but each one had a specific role. One was an organization that was designed to bring legal uh, charges, legal cases against members of the, of the uh, state legislature, always demanding you know, the requests for under the Open Records Act for all their papers. And then that would go to a different org- All the results would go to a different organization full of lawyers who would then sue the there was a media uh, outreach organization there were at least 20 different organizations all of them really being controlled but no one n- knew it frankly uh, all of a sudden they just appeared and and then they began to fund local races with more money than has ever been spent in Colorado in its history uh, on state legislative races some of them reaching uh, upwards of a million dollars. That has never happened here. Certainly, I know in California it's common, but not in Colorado. Um, and and it was all designed to change the political uh, um, profile of the state of Colorado from one where we had, eight years ago, get this, two Republican U.S. senators, five out of seven Republican U.S. Uh, members of the U.S. House of Representatives, every uh, a Republican governor, both houses of the state legislature and every single statewide elected office were in the hands of Republicans to 
in two election cycles, four years, starting eight years ago, in four years, it changed. Um, it was a mirror image of that. Right. Uh, well, Dem- well, Democrat. we call that the termite strategy. You know, one or two termites, you don't worry about it, but they can take down your whole house. They really did. It was. I, I've never seen anything like it. Honestly, it was brilliant. Um, it was uh, an extremely well funded. And the issue, by the way, of gay marriage or anything else never came up. They didn't. They they never pushed it. It was never, you know, part of anybody's agenda. They just simply wanted to change the political profile here, and they did. Well, they, it sounds they like they were struck. aiming for a more diverse representation in the state. Well, yeah, you could certainly mm-hmm. say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I, I don't know how else to characterize it. I, I guess they felt that uh, other groups should be represented and uh, that there should be some, you know, a more uh, representation across a broader spectrum, something like that. Um, in a moment, we're going to talk about some of your uh, positions. But, I, I, you know, this seems to be a, quite a tight race going on, and yet you've been quite out, outspoken about uh, the Obama administration's track record. Uh, but the track record doesn't seem to be swaying people to uh, Romney like like people anticipated it right. would. So what what do you think yeah. he needs to do in these last few days? Well, I think what happened, frankly, were the debates um, and that the image of Romney uh, that had been created by the ads run uh, by the Obama campaign and their surrogates. I guess I could also say by the campaign that that part of that campaign that we call the the uh, popular media, um, but I consider them to be part of the Obama campaign, um, that the image that was created by that um, strategy was pretty much destroyed by the campaign, by the uh, debates themselves, when people were able to see uh, a guy that wasn't... You mean he didn't have any horns? To be. Yeah, he didn't have any horns and a tail? That's exactly right. <laughs> well, we have to we have to take a short commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to find out why immigration reform may need to be one of the first issues our next president tackles. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Costa Report. There's no question that selling a home can be a tricky business when the economy is uneven. But here's a little bit of good news. Not only are financing options opening up, America's love affair with the Monterey Peninsula still continues. Homes that are priced and marketed right are moving. Hi, I'm Judy Profeta, owner-broker of Alon Pinnell Realtors in Carmel, where we're happy to report that inventories are coming down and homes are selling. So if you're getting ready to sell or listing your home, call Alon Pinnell Realtors in Carmel at 831-622-1040 or stop by our offices on the corner of Ocean and Dolores or our main office on Unipero between 5th and 6th in downtown Carmel. Alon Pinnell Realtors, serious brokers for serious sellers.
Now, here's something to think about. If we're having the same problems in the United States that every other country is struggling with, then are these problems really domestic issues? At what point do we wake up and say, hey, if it's happening to everyone, it means it's happening to our species? That's why I'm asking you to read the Watchman's Rattle, because when you do, you'll see that the very idea that there are domestic and international threats is a myth. All of the problems we face today, problems like unemployment, debt, climate change, terrorism, nuclear proliferation, even the spread of pandemic viruses involve other nations. So please take a moment to pick up the Watchman's Rattle. It's a perspective you'll not find anywhere else, and it offers us solutions you won't find anywhere else. Get the Watchman's Rattle. Do it now. You'll be glad you did. Out of 43 million dog lovers, most are feeding their dogs fast food. Are you? I'm Robert Mueller, founder of Frontier Gold Dog Food, the best darn dog food on earth. Like fast food, ordinary dog foods are filled with things your dog likes, but might not be good for them. Frontier Gold is the only dog food on earth that mimics exactly what your dog would eat in the wild, the way nature intended. Your dog will love it. My dog has trimmed down and has tons of energy. I'm so happy knowing my dog is now eating healthy. With this wholesome diet, my dog stops suffering from allergies completely. Commercial dog foods can contain fillers, chemicals, and other harmful ingredients never meant to be eaten. Frontier Frontier Gold is made from what your dog has evolved to eat. The best ingredients on earth. Call 800-475-DOG-FOOD and try Frontier Gold 100% risk-free. Call now and receive your list of dog-friendly hotels, stores, and beaches absolutely free. No purchase necessary. Call 800-475-DOG-FOOD or go to bestdogfoodonearth.com. Ben Loman Market. Low price, great savings, quality, and service that doesn't always cost you more. Andy Gustafson. My job is the produce manager at Ben Loman Market. I do uh, all the ordering, quality control, bringing in new items, making sure everything is nice out on the rack for the customer to buy. I have worked here 25 years. I personally love the customers we have. I love working for the owners I have. And between comparing those two together, it's a real easy, nice, fun job. My favorite is apples. Uh, uh, Any kind of apple, I love eating apples. My favorite vegetable is probably Italian squash. We have plenty of fresh product, both in produce, meat, deli. We have, I think, a very uh, warm crew, and we really try to make the customer happy. We really appreciate our customers. Ben Loman Market. Compare and save. A proud member of Think Local First, Santa Cruz County. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and our guest today is former congressman from Colorado, Mr. Tom Tancredo. And before the break, you were saying that the presidential debates went a long way in proving that Romney wasn't the devil. (laughs) But, you know, with just a few days to go, what does Romney need to do to seal the deal? I don't know that, frankly, between now and the election day, uh, you know, having been in this position myself on many occasions in elections that had, admittedly, probably not as close as this one, but there really isn't much left. And it's because, for the most part, it seems, um, at, at least historically, this might be something different happening this year, but historically, by this time, the election is pretty much settled. Um, even though you're never going to have a candidate agree to that, and they're going to go like, you know, go crazy and and be in every uh, community they can possibly land in between now and the election, or at least in those, I should say, in those 
states that uh, uh, make up the the real um, uh, the, the electoral college map that is important to them. The one that the one the states that are what's referred to as uh, the swing states. Swing states, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so those states they're going to be there every day, but. I, I, my guess is right now, honestly, there isn't a lot any either either campaign can do to change what's going to be happening on election day. Because first of all, about thirty percent of the electorate throughout the country has voted already. Yeah, but they actually there's been 164 laws passed that, in, including laws that have shortened that p- time period. And it's interesting that when you shorten the time period in which you can uh, cast your vote early, uh, the groups that it affects are primarily Democratic demographics. So I, I think there's too many variables at play. I, I keep getting asked as a talk show host, you know, what do I think? And I say there are just too many moving parts to this. Well, you yes. certainly may be right. It's like it, it is like looking at a kaleidoscope to a certain extent, and somebody keeps changing the, uh, turning the the lens. But um, it, really, you've got to say to yourself, no matter how much time is left, no matter I mean, no matter um, how many people still haven't voted, among those people, how many have not made up their minds and. I don't think there are many people out there in that category. I yeah, may be wrong. I, I think you're probably right with that. With so much attention being paid to the terrorist attack in Libya, as well as uh, these dangerous situations in Syria, Lebanon, Iran, most Americans don't necessarily associate problems with illegal immigration with terrorism. So, And I know you've been very active on this front. So would you mind explaining to our listeners why you feel this needs to be taken much more seriously? Sure. I think it is really one of the most certainly interesting, but also uh, most serious domestic policy issues with which we can deal because it affects so many parts of our life and our society. Um, whether we're talking about the educational system we have and the problems it faces, um, the, whether uh, the health care system that we have and the problem it faces, all of these things are impacted by massive immigration, both legal and illegal. Now, you can have very healthy immigration patterns, and and we have over the past, or in the past, we have had, um, I think, a a pretty good uh, record dealing with immigration, and it has been, by and large, positive. And I say that because there were a number of factors that were at play at, let's say, the turn of the last century, that uh, were that are not present necessarily today, and I speak specifically of first of all uh, around 1900, um, and in the ensuing maybe 20 or 30 years, even longer, there was certainly a need for labor, for unskilled, low-priced labor. Mm-hmm. Um, it helped fuel, fuel the industrial revolution, of course, and it helped uh, in the accumulation of capital. Um, there was also something else happening at that time. People that came here came, of course, for the reasons that we are familiar with, that is to say, for a better life, more economic opportunity. But there was also something else happening. There was a strong desire on the part of most of the people coming, certainly not all, but most, to essentially disassociate with the, the, the cultural past and assimilate into American culture. Right, they wanted to become Americans. Sure did. I mean, my, I can remember so distinctly my grandparents um, 
a, a typical Sunday for us when I was growing up was picking up my grandparents, um, going to church, then going for a ride, and then ending up at the Dairy Queen at about three o'clock in the afternoon. No, you know, these are summer days, maybe with not a lot of air, well, no air conditioning in the car, and so by the time we got there to the Dairy Queen. My grandma and grandpa had been in the backseat in close proximity and in a hot surrounding long enough to be in a fight. And <laughs> they were arguing about something, and my grandfather would, would lapse into Italian in the argument, and my grandmother would yell at him. I can still remember it. Speak American, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it but it meant... Argue in English. Yeah. yeah. It meant something else besides just using the language. It meant actually becoming American in their heart, in their mind, in their soul. Now, it didn't mean that they weren't, you know, that we gave up the, the spaghetti or going to the Feast of St. Rocco or something like that, which we certainly uh, did not do. We did not give that up. But it did mean attaching yourself to something else here, the, the American, I, I will say, culture. And that is what is missing. To a large extent, it is missing in the immigration patterns we've seen for the last 40 years. The, the desire, on the one hand, the desire to assimilate is not there. Well, and now, our, let me ask you this. How would I yeah. show, if I were an immigrant, how would I show a desire to assimilate? Well, it's an interesting thing. The, are you familiar with the Pew Hispanic Trust? It's a, uh, a very large organization that does a lot of things, including polling. And there's, there, there's a Pew poll, but there's mm -hmm. also Pew Hispanic Trust. And... They are um, certainly more sympathetic uh, to um, Hispanic uh, attitudes and ideas. And so it's when they do a poll, it sometimes seems skewed. But it's fascinating that about maybe four months ago, five months ago, they did a poll that tried to analyze the degree to which people, uh, Hispanic uh, immigrants into this country, were, were identifying themselves as Americans. Uh, and, and they ask, do you feel as though you are an American or do you feel that you are essentially a Mexican still connected to Mexico more than the United States? Oh, after three generations, the majority of people in their poll answered that they still felt a connection, stronger connection to Mexico than the United States. And, and that the language spoken was still not, I mean, even after three generations, they would not consider English to be their primary language, uh, even though they could, most of them, speak it, but they did not think of it as their primary language, or didn't think of themselves primarily connected to the United States. So there's one way to, I guess, empirically identify what we think might be the case um, anecdotally. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I guess part of me says that uh, we've created all these pathways for assimilation. I guess my real question would be, why aren't people accepting them? You know, I mean, they are going to public schools. English is the primary language there. Um, you know, they they have baseball, football, uh, all kinds of uh, social services and book clubs. And there seems to be a lot of ways to assimilate. And it's a real mystery as to why people make a decision not to do that. We have to take another short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about immigration and security. You're listening to the Costa Report.
There aren't many things you can trust these days, but thankfully you can still trust your taste buds. That's why I want to tell you about Caraccioli Cellars. Recently, I stopped by their tasting room right there on Dolores Street in downtown Carmel to sample their Pinot Noir. And well, folks, let me put it this way. I did not stop there. The Pinot was so far and above what you'd expect from a family-owned winery that I had to try their Chardonnay, Brut Rosé, and Brut Cuvée just to make sure the Pinot wasn't some fluke. And you know what? This may be the one and only time you hear me, Rebecca Costa, mention a winemaker on the air. If you don't know Caraccio, Sellers, then get your taste buds down to their tasting room on Dolores Street and ask them to pour you the same wines that won me over. Caraccioli Sellers, memorize that name because you're going to hear a lot about them. This caliber of wine doesn't stay a secret for long. Caraccioli Sellers, it's what I serve at my table and you'll be proud to serve it at yours. Trudy, you fancy some BBC then? What, the telly? No, I mean bangers, beans and chips, missus. Ooh, I'm a bit peckish. Are you making tea then? No, I thought we'd go to the Britannia Arms in Capitola. You know they've got a new one right on the beach. Call Blimey, does that place have the same menu? Yes, and some lovely new appetizers as well. Steamed mussels, grilled artichokes, ahi tartar. That sounds delicious. You know what? I think I'm going to decide when I get there. I might go with the fish and chips, the chicken curry, or ribeye steak with Yorkshire pudding. Well, they always pour a nice pint there as well. Oh, I love a glass of cider. Right, we're off then, and you can buy the first round. Because two Brits are better than one. Britannia Arms are now in two locations, in Capitola Village at the end of the Esplanade and at 8017 SoCal Drive in Aptos. Lovely jubbly. Toodles. Hi, Dale here from Jungle Plant. Today I'm answering the most frequent question I receive. What is Jungle Plant? We're a full-service interior plant company providing sales, service, and rental of plants. And we're here for you with free consultations. So give us a call at 462-5806 or visit us at jungleplant.com and Facebook and Yelp and Manta and Merchant Circle and LinkedIn and Twitter and Google and Yahoo Local. Hi folks, Warren Knox here of Knox Roofing. Going through my tackle box the other day brought to mind all the choices we have. Lures like a Castmaster, a Wobble Right, Super Dupers, Ford Fenders, a Crocodile, Panther Martin, or a Blue Fox. A Hoochie might work. It's hard to know which one. All work differently. When it comes to hiring a roofing contractor, it's a lot like a tackle box. Lots of choices between contractors. Some look flashy, talk dress fancy, have a lot of promises, and can be very convincing and pretty. But when it comes to your home, especially your roof, there's only one choice to get the job done right, and that's Knox Roofing. So folks, don't get lured in by a flashy contractor. Knox Roofing tells it straight. We have a track record unsurpassed in the community. If poor workmanship and substandard materials is what you're looking for, Knox Roofing is not for you. So give Knox Roofing a call today. We'll be a good catch for you at 460 610634. Thanks, folks. Dave Allen here. It's about that time again where everyone believes they get to pick Tweedledee, Tweedledum, a new sheep herder. Well, join me this Sunday, November 4th at 4 p.m. We will discuss all about voting, all about sheep herders and farming human animals. <laughs> Come on, more positive radio. It's all a joke. Have fun. Lighten up. 
again this Sunday, 4 p.m., November 4th, right here on AM 1080 KSCO. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm here today with former Congressman Tom Tancredo. And before the break, you were talking about the Pew Hispanic poll that indicated that most immigrants from Mexico actually consider themselves citizens of Mexico rather than Americans, which begs the question, how do we make assimilation more attractive? Um, Well, we have to kind of look at it historically. There were plenty of people who came here, I think, um, during the uh, high tides of immigration uh, from other places that uh, were perhaps just as content to uh, remain connected to the country of origin than the United States, but they found it almost impossible to stay that way simply because there were so many things here that forced the change. One is the school system, you mentioned it. Mm-hmm. Schools, public schools for the, for the longest time were really the, place, the places that we sent, that everybody went to sort of rub elbows with everybody else and find a co- common culture. You, you learned about the United States. You learned about um, the, uh, you know, you, you had a, an American history that was something that was taught in a way essentially to make you proud of it. Uh, certainly I was. And, um, the, I think that's missing today in the public school system. It's a big, big problem. Today, there is um, um, an emphasis on multiculturalism that overwhelms the um, what more what we would think of as a traditional co- curriculum uh, that was focused on, the, you know, just the three R's plus. I actually had, I remember on one of my on my report card all the way through Catholic elementary school. St. Catherine's, there was a grade for citizenship. There was an actual little thing, citizenship. I had that on my report card, too, and I remember that in the state of California, you could not graduate without taking a year of civics. Yeah, that's right. It was a requirement. And and I'm afraid now, uh, Rebecca, that if you, even if you force that, the kind of civics lesson that you would get from most of these teachers who themselves have been the product of a, quote, progressive system, um, would be one that would in, that would in, uh, enhance this feeling of, of multiculturalism, and uh, therefore, I must admit, I think it would it's quite divisive. What we are creating is something that Teddy Roosevelt warned us about. He said, "If you know, immigration is great, but you you cannot if you have immigration without assimilation, all you end up with you do not you do not end up with a country. You end up with a polyglot boarding house and that is exactly where we are i believe as a result of this the influence of multiculturalism in our school in our society certainly in uh, in the in the arts um it is all focused on trying to create these subgroups uh, people connected to each other for you know, linguistically ethnically uh, culturally but but not as Americans. And, and I'm glad you brought up the linguistic issue because I know that you've been a uh, big proponent of making English the official language of the United States. Yes, ma'am. Uh, it doesn't uh, prohibit anybody from having 18 other languages. Um, now, now, why is that an issue? Well, you mean why do people not want it? Yeah. It's because they are committed to this multiculturalist agenda. But it, but it doesn't prohibit multiculturalism. Well, they think it, you know, I mean, frankly, it, it, with, with language goes uh, 
a lot of culture. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, look at the French in Quebec and the Walloons in, uh, in, in Belgium. We, we see that language is very, very, very strongly connected with culture. And, and there, there's great, there are great divisions within countries when you have divisions based on both language and culture, and that is certainly where we're going. There are places in Southern California, Texas, Arizona... Uh, Congressman Tangredo, I I spent a lot of time. Yeah, I spent a lot of time in Laos, Cambodia, uh, uh, you know, Vietnam. Even you know, my father was with the CIA, and uh, there people spoke whatever their native language was, plus French, because they had been colonized by the French. Uh, I I wouldn't say their culture had been contaminated or taken over by the French. Well, they just supported two languages. What's so wrong with that? It's it's, there's nothing wrong with with being. Bilingual or multilingual. Sure. I wish I were, quite frankly. <laughs> it's, it's when it is when it becomes not just um, an advantage uh, from an academic standpoint, but it's when it becomes almost a religion. When multiculturalism, when the idea of, quote, diversity, you mentioned it as being a factor perhaps in, in the uh, Colorado politics, but when diversity becomes the ultimate goal, for a society, it's quite destructive. You, diversity is great at, at a certain point, to a certain level, but there, it is oxymoronic to think that you can have as your most significant single trait characteristic of a society, diversity. It doesn't work, and it, it is becoming much more difficult for us. I, I, went, I asked a group of students one day, I, I went to a high school in my district, very, very Sort of, it was just a brand new school, brand new facility, beautiful in a very upscale area in, in which I do not live, by the way. But mm-hmm. but it was these kids, you know, dr- driving to school in their Mercedes and and BMWs, tanned from skiing at Aspen that weekend. Must be nice. It was it was very <laughs> nice and and a beautiful facility. And it only been open a short time. And I uh, they asked me to speak to the students that and you know, they brought them into the auditorium. The Teachers lined up on the walls. The kids sat in the middle. I started to talk, and I said something about, boy, you know, it's a beautiful school. Aren't you proud of the school? Yeah. Everybody screamed. And, yeah, yes, I love it. I said, and how about that team? You know, I didn't even know, but they hadn't won a game in, nine, in six months, and, and it didn't matter. Hey, yeah, the team was great. The school was great. It was their team, their school. They understood that they were connected to it. I said, and I don't even know what made me say this, Rebecca, but I said, um, by the way, what do you think of your country? Dead was silence. Dead silence. And, mm-hmm. and they kept looking at each other like, what did he just say? Mm-hmm. And I said, it's not a trick question. I just wondered. You know, you got this great school. You got everybody. What do you think of your country? What do you think of the United no States? No hollering for your country. No hollering. Not even a, not even a, a little hand raise like, yeah, it's, it's okay. They were, they, and, and you know what, Rebecca? It wasn't because they didn't like the United States. It was because they were intellectually incapable of affirming the fact that it was a good place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they weren't connected to it in their hearts. No, they're not. And, and there's a big difference between, you know, our parents. Our parents were connected, yeah. They were that's very it. connected. I, in right. fact, I, re, I used to remember, you probably don't remember this, but you'd go into a movie theater and they'd um, they'd show the flag before the movie would start and you'd, you'd put your hand over your heart and stand. Right. And, and I try to tell my kids that, and they go, what? And I what? said, yeah. Yeah, they'd recite the Pledge of Allegiance before the movie started in a public theater. 
And by the way, no, not a single teacher, when I kept saying, how many in this place like the country they live in? Not one single teacher raised his or her hand either. Really? Really. And I went, from that point on, every single school I went into, every classroom I went into, and, and I was still in Congress, so I, I would do it all the time. I would ask that same question, and it was always about, it, you'd get, after a while, I got about 10%, maybe 20 kids out of the 260 that were in the audience. 20-some maybe would finally, finally raise their hand in this sheepish sort of, you know, and I taught for, for nine years, and I taught civics in ninth grade, and I've seen that look, and you know, it's like, it's like Oh my God, if I raise my hand, you might, you know, is he going to call on me? You know, is he going to make me say why? Is he going to actually say? Well, I will um, tell you this. In the, in the 1950s, when you came to this country uh, and you wanted to apply for U.S. citizenship, you did have to prove that you could speak English. And not only that, you had to write English. I know this from a personal experience sure. of my mother. My mother emigrated here from Japan. And, uh, and I remember the day that she was going to get her citizenship. She had to appear before a judge. And he was allowed to ask her any question. And he happened to ask my mother, he said, um, do you have any children? And she said, I have a daughter. And he said, would you write, I have a daughter? Now, the word daughter is a little tricky. That, yeah. There's that D-A-U-G-H-T-E-R. Right. And my mother thought about it, and she leaned over, and she said, would you mind, sir, if I write, I have a little girl? <laughs> and he said, no, that would be fine. And she wrote it in perfect penmanship. And uh, she never forgot that. She told that story until she passed away about how proud she was that she knew what daughter meant. And she could write, uh, I have a little girl. Yeah. And that story has always been near and dear to my heart. We have to take our last break. When we come back, we're going to talk about one of your most surprising initiatives, the legalization of marijuana. You're listening okay. to the Costa Report. Just about everyone knows that fruits and vegetables are good for our health, but not everyone knows how to build a healthier plate. Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, a cookbook author and culinary expert. For each meal, nutrition experts recommend filling half of your plate with fruits and veggies. Whether it's fresh berries with your breakfast cereal, a wrap filled with your favorite roasted vegetables for lunch, or a medley of crunchy veggies for a pre-dinner nibble, Dole provides the freshest and highest quality produce available. When you load up on all the nutritional good stuff, you give your meal an instant boost of color, flavor, and texture, plus vitamins and minerals and fiber, everything your body needs to succeed. For nutritional inspiration and to learn more about Dole's fresh, whole, and cut vegetables and a full line of berries, visit Dole.com. With Dole as your partner in health, the possibilities are endless. Visit Dole.com. Now, here's something to think about. If we're having the same problems in the United States that every other country is struggling with, then are these problems really domestic issues? At what point do we wake up and say, hey, if it's happening to everyone, it means it's happening to our species. That's why I'm asking you to read the Watchman's Rattle, because when you do, you'll see that the very idea that there are domestic and international threats is a myth. All of the problems we face today, problems like unemployment, debt, climate change, terrorism, nuclear proliferation, even the spread of pandemic viruses involve other nations. So please take a moment to pick up the Watchman's Rattle. It's a perspective you'll not find anywhere else, and it offers us solutions you won't find anywhere else. Get the Watchman's Rattle. Do it now. You'll be glad you did.
On the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, we pause to remember the veterans of our military. So let's all pause to remember at 11 a.m. Then at 2 p.m., let's celebrate. Hello, Vietnam veteran Michael Olson here with an invitation for you to join me at the second annual Monterey County Veterans Day Parade in Old Town Salinas. Parade starts at 2 p.m. on Sunday, November 11th at Salinas High School and then proceeds with all kinds of fanfare through Old Town to the Steinbeck Center. Remember to remember our veterans on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. Then at 2 p.m. on Sunday, the 11th of November, bring your family, friends, and American flags and join in the celebration of our veterans at Monterey County's annual Veterans Day Parade in Salinas. What day was that, you ask? Why, that was the 11th day of the 11th month. Parade starts at 2 p.m. Join me. Let's celebrate all of our veterans. I'm Jim Bohannon, host of America in the Morning. Each day, we take you around America and the world to bring you the latest from the Midwest, the Middle East, or the middle of ground zero. A 911 call in the middle of the night. This is Howard Ehrenstein in Washington. Peter Mayer, the White House. David Dow, Los Angeles. Kimberly Dozier, Islamabad. And we wake up the newsmakers who wake up the world. We're joined by Senator Joe Lieberman, former Defense Secretary William Cohen, the Reverend Jesse Jackson, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, and White while we keep our eye on the top news, we never lose sight of all the information you need to make your life complete. Well, Jim, the Northeast has had storm systems sweeping across the Northeast today. Sports time and the Tony Roberts Morning Drive jumpstarts your day. What jumpstarts your morning drive? We'd like to join Jim Bohannon on America in the Morning, 5 to 6, Monday through Friday on KSCO. Welcome back to the Costa Report. Our guest today is Mr. Tom Tancredo. And before the last break, we were talking about the importance of having an American identity and creating a clear pathway to assimilation, which may mean standardizing something as basic as our language. And now, I'm not quite sure why most people associate the legalization of marijuana with liberal politics, but you have come out rather strong in favor of ending the prohibition on this popular drug. So can you explain to us why? Sure. Um, I, I have a, I think, 98 or 99% rating by the American Conservative Union for all of the votes I took while I was in Congress and going back to even when I was in the state legislature. So um, I consider myself a, a, a strong conservative, and I say that because I have this deep-seated belief that the government has very little to do with my life and should have very little to do with my life that the constitution of the united states is a document that describe that that is a limiting document limits the government um, that there are um, every time something happens like uh, the the nanny staters in uh, let's say new york decide that no one should be uh, drinking more than sixteen ounces of a pepsi cola or something conservatives usually rail against that and say, what an idiotic thing. What is the government, what right do the, does the government have to tell me how much Pepsi I can drink, buy at a store? Um, and, and, I, and they're right. And, and when they get mad at Michelle Obama for, you know, telling them what foods they can eat or should eat, it, you know, I agree with them. It's just none of the government's business. Okay, but some of those things are kind of obvious. Stuff. I mean, some of those things are obvious. What about texting and driving? 
Do you think we ought to have a law against that? Well, well sure, because you. Uh, no, excuse me. There's a dog. I, think she, I think she heard your. I think she heard your commercial a little earlier. <laughs> she must have heard some dogs barking on our station. <laughs> um, the uh, well, of course, and and if you dr- if you smoke marijuana and drive, you should be arrested. Mm-hmm. If you drink and drive, you should be arrested because those things you are doing, you are doing, in. Uh, in, in the with the possibility of hurting someone else, mm-hmm. but to sit in your home, which is by the way what this initiative does here in Colorado, it allows you to have an ounce of marijuana and consume it in your home, not in public, can't sell it to anybody else, can't do anything like that. But but what right does the government have? To tell me, I can't do that as an adult. I certainly believe we have a a, a right to say that you shouldn't sell it to children. It is not a benign substance. I have never had a marijuana cigarette in my life, okay? I've never smoked one. I, I uh, don't even know, I don't anticipate, even if this passes, that I would smoke one. But it doesn't matter. What, what my personal decision is about that is irrelevant to whether or not the government has the right to tell me what to do. So from that standpoint... So this isn't an issue of marijuana. You just don't believe the government should be telling citizens what to do in their private homes. Well, absolutely. Particularly if they're not harming anyone. If they're not harming anybody else. And there are all these other things that are happening here. The the drug cartels, the amount of corruption, the, the amount of bloodshed that is a result of this ludicrous war on drugs. We have never in now, what, 40 or uh, maybe close to 50 years we've been fighting this war on drugs. And we and drugs are just as available as they ever were, just as cheap as they ever were. That that's, Those are two indicators as to whether or not you're winning, and we're not. And so the, the you know, to con- what's the definition of insanity? If you keep doing the same thing, expecting a different outcome, well, it's insane to keep this up. We will not win it. Marijuana, for one thing, is universally available. It is available. There, there, it's more available in school to, to kids in school than booze. You go to any school, ask any kid, ask your listener, ask your kids or your grandkids. What's easier to get, a joint or a bottle of rye or, or vodka or something? But what do you say to people that worry that once you you know, remove the prohibition on marijuana, then what's going to be next? Well, you know, like that, that it's a slippery slope yeah, and you start saying yes and suddenly you're a permissive parent. You know, your kid comes in five minutes after curfew and you let him go and then he comes in 15 minutes late and you let that go and suddenly he's an hour late. Well, You, you know what I mean? Parent, yeah, and, and as I say, as a parent, you have a right to control that activity. As, but the government? Come on. Give me a break. At some point, we have to determine what is the role of government? What's the proper role of government in my life? And if we ignore that, if we, and if we keep saying, these are bad things, people shouldn't do this, I'm going to make it against the law for them to do it to themselves, to themselves now, then I'm telling you, there is nothing that we can logically say the government shouldn't be involved with. If we can do that, Katie barred the door. And so, well, now I agree with you in principle. I, I, I do. I, I do. I agree with you in principle. I don't like government intervention any more than you know anybody else. Uh, 
but it seems like we're kind of a fair fair weather country on this marijuana issue. It feels to me like uh, when the economy's not doing well and we see some easy tax dollars, everybody jumps on the bandwagon and says, do you know how much money we could take in if we legalized marijuana and taxed it? And then some economists came out and said, yeah, but your calculations are based on marijuana street value today when it's illegal. And the minute it becomes as cheap as lettuce, you know, is grown by everybody and just becomes an agricultural crop, you're not going to take in as many tax dollars. And but, but it feels to me that when the economy gets rough like this and everybody's looking for dollars, we kind of start bending our rules. I understand you're, you have a principled position, which is less government intervention in my home when I'm not harming anyone. You don't care if it's marijuana or anything else. Uh, but don't, isn't there a feeling that you have that people just jump on the bandwagon because they want the tax revenue? Well, uh, certainly, I, I know that that's a, you know, a, a lost leader that they put in this, this initiative. By the way, I did not write the initiative that is on the ballot here in Colorado. I just support it because I support the idea of legalization. But, mm-hmm. um, but part of it is to divert tax money to, that it would come about as a result of legalization, the tax revenue to schools and that sort of thing. And, and, and that's always, you know, that's a lost leader, I call it, because I agree with you. It's, it's, I, I think it's not... The most important part of this, you know, it's uh, but but it's in the it's in the initiative because they believe that that will attract votes. Or will I don't think I'm going to be honest with you. I, I do not think that this will pass in Colorado. Although I think it'll come close. Mm-hmm. Um, even though you know times are rough, money and all that, I don't think it's going to overcome the soccer mom who says you know when you've got the the attorney general of the state and and others saying this is terrible. It'll you know our kids will be jeopardized. That's a big trying to get people to to change huge public policy issues via the ballot is a very difficult thing. That's all they need is the slightest reason to vote no, and. Believe me, they've been given that by the other side on this. I, I agree with you, and I think there's a fundamental problem here where families are concerned in that I didn't feel it was the government's issue to decide what my children would and would not do. I felt that was my decision. Now how about what's it they should, what you should pack in their lunch? That's right. I, I don't really care what the government says. I have to do right oh, by my man. children, and and so you know they can they can holler and you know all they want to, but I that doesn't mean I have to do what they recommend or say. Uh, and if they legalize marijuana, it would have still been prohibited in my home Absolutely. Uh, until my children were grown up enough to have good judgment and decide for themselves. And whatever they decided for themselves, I I would have gone along with. I agree you know, completely. But, uh, but I do think that we get a little carried away. We think that if the government decides something, we're all going to act like sheep, and you know, suddenly our children would be obligated in some way to smoke marijuana. I, I just think I, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more that it doesn't matter if it's marijuana or any other thing. If you're in your home, you're not bothering anyone. I don't think the government has any business uh, legislating any of that. No, ma'am, I agree with you completely. I mean, that, that to me is the essence of conservatism. You know, Henry David Thoreau was thrown in jail uh, for um, uh, civil disobedience and uh, for something that he believed was, he believed strongly, and then he was uh, thrown in jail. And uh, people, his friends came to visit him and said, uh, Henry, what are, what are you doing in there? Thoreau, Thoreau famously said to them, uh, the question is, what are you doing out there? Wow. 
Yeah. Wow, that's and, that's a that's a fantastic note to end the program <laughs> on, and that is all the time we have today. But before we let you go, I do want to thank you for taking time to speak with us today. Thank you, Mr. Tancredo. Been a pleasure. If your station is leaving us after this first hour. Next week, we will be done with the negative campaign advertising, and Americans will have peacefully cast their ballots and elected a new president. It's a good time to stand back and look at our culture and what some of the things are that make a great leader great. Our guest next week is Emmy Award-winning talk show host and popular contributor to the New York Times, Mr. Dick Cavett. Cavett is known for his calm demeanor and his intelligent, in-depth interviews. Don't miss Dick Cavett next week right here on your favorite weekly news program. Until then, I'm Rebecca Costa, and you're listening to The Costa Report. Hi, I'm Judy Profeta, owner, broker, and active real estate agent of Alon Pinnell Realtors, a locally owned real estate company. We've operated on the peninsula for over 16 years, currently located on the corner of Ocean and Dolores and Unipero between 5th and 6th in downtown Carmel. We serve the Monterey Peninsula, focusing on Carmel, Pebble Beach, and the Carmel Valley. Our firm of about 50 agents represents everything from Carmel Cottages to Pebble Beach Estates and oceanfront properties to Valley Vineyards. We are actually known for our vast inventory of fine properties. Drop by and see us, or better yet, visit our website at apr-carmel.com. That's apr-carmel.com. Or you can give us a call at 831 822-1040 and make sure you tell them Judy sent me. The traditional light bulb a groundbreaking invention in 1879 it's time we switch to longer lasting energy star light bulbs they're more efficient than the old bulbs like a text message is more efficient than a carrier pigeon and they cut down on our energy costs because in our own groundbreaking age we deserve a light bulb that saves us some cash Saving energy saves you money. Learn more at energysavers.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. Eat, Drink, Explore Radio is your lifestyle information source. Our focus includes food, wine, craft beer, travel and tourism trends, emphasizing healthy, local, and sustainable options. We've got you covered from 8 to 10 each and every Sunday morning, live, right here on KSCO AM 1080. Eat, Drink, Explore Radio, your source for the lifestyle you love. Your source for news, sports, traffic, and weather. AM 1080, KSCO, Santa Cruz, San Jose. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com.
The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.